little lights that says recording, like the little red lights they have in like. For for who? Just for fun. I don't know. Just for fun. I just want one now. Like, one of those little lights they have um, in like radio stations. Like for on air. Like Fraser. Yeah. Like his little. I want one of those. I don't, we I, don't need it, but I want it. We can just put it on the the table when we record and makes us no, feel. On the wall. Oh, oh, on the wall. Yeah. My apologies. I guess I'm not a real podcaster. I don't know these things. Welcome back to Source Material. I am Jared Ballou. I am Marissa Gall. It's good to have you guys back. This episode will be covering um, the footnotes for Hellboy. So we're going to be talking about Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy and Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. This yes. Week. the I feel like there's kind of a cult following slash... I would, yeah, I think these are... A these little are, bit bigger than that, but... These could be classified as cult films. In probably. terms of, like, comic book movies... They yeah. seem very cult, especially because they came about before the MCU was born. Yeah, they, it definitely they definitely have that feel that a lot of move, a lot of superhero movies did in the mid two thousands. Right. Yeah, for sure. I don't know what it is about it. It's just a distinct kind of quality. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I get what you're saying, but it's hard to put it's your finger, to put your finger on it for sure. Finger on it. Stylistically, there's just something going on. There's like a common thread going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So this is our, you know, more relaxed episode. So we're just gonna get into the movie, kind of what comics inspired it. How- just talk about whatever we found interesting, really. Yeah, this is just really a self-serving <laughs> format at this point. Yeah, it's just kind of fun to do something a little less structured, so. Yeah. Um, but we're going to break it down first. We're going to obviously cover the very first one, which yeah. I have been tasked with. And um, I feel like Hellboy is really well known because of who directed it and wrote it, and that's Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious now whether... When the first movie came out, how much fanfare there was because he was directing it. Right. Because the movie that I knew him for was first, was probably Pan's Labyrinth. And he won awards for that movie. But that didn't come out until 2006. The first Hellboy movie came out in 2004. So, like, I feel like his, like, acclaim, his, like, mainstream acclaim anyways, came after the first Hellboy movie. Yeah, and maybe there was some pickup after that, but it did still do fairly well in terms of well, box office and yes, things. But we'll I, get to that. I'll discuss maybe the impact of his labyrinth on the okay. one. Awesome. Well, Guillermo del Toro, as many can guess or know, was born in Mexico, specifically Guadalajara. Yeah, a lot of good Mexican directors right now. He's actually really close with Alfonso Cuaron and um, oh, another one. Alejandro. Alejandro Inuritu, yeah. Inuritu or yeah. something. I'm I'm really bad with that last name. I'm trying my best. But they actually were interviewed together on Charlie Rose, and they say that they kind of influence influence each other's kind of directorial I work. Totally so see that. it makes sense. Isn't it like maybe four or five of the last six years have gone to those three mm-hmm. guys in terms of best picture at yeah. the Oscars? Yeah, which is really because Quran cool. won last year. Quran won, and then. Guillermo del Toro won for Shape of Water, which mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get into a little bit. A little bit, um, yeah. <laughs> just, just some interesting... Uh, parallels. Parallels. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what was it before that? The it, Revenant? Did, was it The Revenant? Yeah. It was Birdman, I think he won. Then I think he won for The Revenant. Yeah, Alejandro. Mm-hmm. Alejandro. Too, yeah. I think it's his name. I believe so. So yeah, four. I think four of the last like, five or six years. Yeah, Mexican directors are really stepping up and they're showing up and they're doing it's great cool work. It's to see directors, um, foreign directors. And who aren't some of making, who aren't classified and just put into the box of foreign film. Like they're making Right, mainstream yeah. film Roma, and they just happen to be Roma kind of was Roma kind right. of it's a foreign language film but it just crosses so I don't know there's that is a beautiful movie you should watch it it's gorgeous oh, yeah. it's gorgeous it's a gorgeous movie but we're we're not here to wax poetic about Quran maybe we'll get to him I wonder if he's adapted yeah, anything we'll have, to look we'll have to look into that 
but for well, um, actually he did uh, the third Harry Potter movie so we will get to that solid so excited then yeah. fantastic so uh, Del Toro is much more than just a director he actually besides being a filmmaker he is a writer and producer as well as an author he also did acting and he also was a former special effects makeup artist which I think which makes a lot of sense so it makes so much He's sense also currently working on a video game too really yeah okay with uh, that's really, really cool. well-known um really well-known video game creator that's really cool yeah he seems to like to experiment in all different formats and his, yeah he's a really creative guy his background in special effects makeup really is shown in all of his movies because he uses a ton of practical effects Definitely. which I find fascinating I love his style yeah he received his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame last week nice but yes he got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and I think well it's deserved. very well deserved like you said he's best known for Pan's Labyrinth and now The Shape of Water. I don't know if he's best known for Pan's Labyrinth anymore. Anymore, it's probably Shape of Water yeah. and I think Hellboy's up there too. Yeah. Like, especially with the recent adaptation, people were like, Del Toro's name came back into the picture. Mm-hmm. He also did Pacific Rim. Yeah. Oh, he did? Yeah, the first one. I didn't know I never. That. I didn't watch the new one, but the first one he did and he, what was the other one? Crimson Peak? Was it a Crimson Peak? Was it a horror horror film? With um, Tom Hiddleston? Hiddleston. I watched that and I enjoyed it. That was him too. Okay. Well, he's sneaking into the movies I watch, which I love horror, so this is great. He also is a producer too. Yes, he's he's a writer, producer, so far. He's producing the new Scary Stories to Tell the Dark. Yes, he is. So yeah, he played all three roles on Hellboy. He was writer, producer, director. Mm. And he's always had a lifelong fascination with monsters, which shows in his work. And I just found something really endearing about him, that he has two houses that are solely devoted to his collection of books, posters, and other like memorabilia for his work. Wait, he doesn't live in these houses? No. Like, I think he can visit them, like, and he can stay, but like, they're just solely like full of memorabilia and like stuff that is about his books and his past and his his career and a quote about it he was asked about it he's like as i know and i find it really endearing and the quote about it is as a kid i dreamed of having a house with secret passages and a room where it rained 24 hours a day the point of being over 40 is to fulfill the desires you've been harboring since you were seven his mind is so interesting and like Like he still has those childlike things in there and the room that rained 24 hours a day it sounds it's like something like that would be exactly like straight but you know when you want a rainy day and then yeah, you yeah. can read a book I was like I, I feel that so he's he, this motherfucker has two houses two houses just for for his books and I'm as a book lover I'm like goals want that for, for me but I also like to be surrounded by all of them so I think I would technically just be a hoarder and I think he's just a hoarder I, he's a hoarder he just, <laughs> he just compartmentalizes it into other houses right <laughs> it's like if I can't he's, that's what a rich out of sight does. out of mind yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, he won't be like Marie condoing his house anytime soon. So a little bit about the cast. I think most of the people are pretty well known. Obviously Ron Perlman plays Hellboy. And then we have Doug Jones as Abe Sapien, who I have grown an appreciation for. I knew him only as the man who played Billy, the um, like mummy zombie from Hocus Pocus. <laughs> that was like he my, was yeah, he was, that's how I knew him. And then as I've watched more movies, I'm like, this guy's name keeps popping up. And he is just so well known for his special effects acting, like being able to be put into practical effects makeup and actually portray. Like he's in Pan's Labyrinth. He's, so he's kind of like, um, he's a, what is that guy's name? He's oh, uh, Andy Circus. Andy Circus. Yeah. Andy Circus. But I would say he has like, he has a lot more. Andy Serkis has um, experience with like acting and it did digitally being rendered. Yeah, where that's Doug true. Jones is like in full on prosthetics yeah. the whole time, which is really impressive. However, I was really upset to learn that they voiced over yep. him in the movie by David Hyde Pierce. And I'm not saying David from Hyde Frazier. Pierce from Fraser. I'm not saying he has so. a bad voice. I'm just saying Doug Jones is an amazing actor and he deserves to have his voice literally heard. I think he's great. Anyway, I'm just sticking up for him. <laughs> um, Selma Blair plays Liz Sherman. 
John Hurt, a.k.a. Um, Ollivander from Ollivander Wands, plays Professor Brutenholm, a.k.a. Hellboy's kind of father figure. And the minute I saw him, did I mistake him for Dumbledore? Yes. But without the, without the, you know, the beard. Yeah. And, like, in modern clothing, I'm like, I got I also, confused for I a second. I think it's important to note that that character is also in the new Hellboy. Yes. Whereas, other than Hellboy, most of the other ones in these movies are not. Right. These ones you don't see in the most recent adaptation. Yeah. However, they are in the comics. They are in the comics. Very heavily. Yes. And then, Carl Roden plays Rasputin. So, I only really did the main characters. There are a bunch of smaller characters, sure. but those are the, the main, main players that we've got going on. Like I said, I really enjoy practical effects, makeup, and costumery. I come from a family of crafters. That's what we enjoy. So, like I said, they use primarily practical effects. And for Perlman, it took him four hours to get into makeup every single day. That is crazy. And his makeup artist... Because how long... Did it, did it say anywhere how long the shoot was? Probably a couple months, right? So... It was a couple months. They did a lot of it in Prague, and they did kind of like second shifts, so they would work from noon to midnight, but Perlman would have to be there at like 8 a.m. to start the hair and makeup process. God, that would make for such a long day. But his makeup artist, Jake Garber, he was picked specifically by Perlman, and he like worked in time so he could eat and like get up and move around because at the end of the day, he it's all foam prosthetics and paint, and someone had asked him in an interview, like, how much of Perlman actually shows? Like, how much of it is his skin, his body, his everything? He's like, right. his eyelids. <laughs> like, his eyeballs are covered in contacts. Like, the only thing unaltered and just, like, kind of painted are his eyelids. The rest is hair, makeup, foam prosthetics, glue. It's wild. That's actually impressive that they could do that in four hours. Then. In four hours. Every and, day. And to try and to have to get different continuity how you get it exactly exactly right. the same right right because even though he's all red he said there's like four to five shades you have to use well, to make depth and whatever make it look skin like and as you mentioned Abe Sapien is also somebody mm-hmm. else in prosthetics that you have this going on for multiple people yeah so mo- most people pick their their makeup artist so each person had a dedicated makeup artist and team for each costume wow. so that is where a lot of their money went where like it was to CGI and practical effects. So, lastly, onto the box office, it grossed ninety nine point four million worldwide, and that was up against a sixty six million dollar budget. So, it could have been it, worse. It could have been worse. Not a huge hit, but not a huge hit. But critically, it was actually performing pretty well. Um, it received um, accolades for its wit, its humor, its graphics, and its costumes. I think that's a huge thing with Del Toro films, as you'll see people, especially critics, always kind of give him praise for his use and blending of CGI and practical effects. Yes. They're, they always have an admiration for that. And um, actually, it was given um, a Rotten Tomatoes kind of award. It was declared the 13th best reviewed comic book film adaptation out of 94 in 2007. And then in 2008, Empire Magazine ranked it the 11th best on their list of 20 greatest comic book movies. Hmm. And I wonder where that would be at now, though. Well, exactly, because that's Iron Man came out in 2008, and then we have the MCU just Which is blow like up from there. Three or 24 movies by itself. By itself, yeah. So that was before yeah. the big hit. I would be really curious to see what it is now, and maybe I'll look it up and we'll find out. But yeah. Okay, so we're going to just kind of go movie by movie. So we're not going to break down the plot of the movie and then the differences. We're just kind of skim through it. Yeah. Because Del Toro is somebody who takes the comics and kind of makes his own story with it. Very much makes Especially in the second one, which you're, I think, going to have a lot of fun talking yes. about. This one is loosely based on the seed of destruction. Yeah, I would say that's mainly what it's based on. Yeah, the first, um, the very first, the one. very first uh, volume. Mm-hmm. So the beginning starts similarly to the comic book, also to the backstory included in the 2019 version, which is all about how Hellboy came to Earth, and so it's 1944, and everyone is on an island off the coast of Scotland. But this is a little different than the comic because Brutenholm is by himself and he's with a bunch of American soldiers getting ready to ambush the Nazis. 
which is not a part of the comics no. at all. They're in two separate places. Yeah. And interestingly, the, the 2019 version of Hellboy 2 even makes it even more different. So, like, all three the comic, the 2004 version that Don Toro did, and the 29, new 2019 version, none of them are consistent on the no. origin story. Nope. Not at all. Um, but Rasputin is still involved. He still kind of has the same goals of freeing these um, cosmic beasts to bring about the end of the Allies to win World War II. Uh, that doesn't happen. Um, something that's also very different is Rasputin is shown like disappearing into this portal, like this mm. paranormal portal, and you think he's dead. And yeah. Hellboy is born out of that portal before it closes, and similarly is found by Brutenholm and is raised by him. And all the Nazis are quote unquote defeated, besides some of Rasputin's team members who do show up later. Um, and, wait, so. In the movie, his his goal is just to defeat the Allies in World War Two. Right, that's what it appears. It it doesn't really get into the depth that it does in the comics. That is one thing about this that I thought. It's not as nuanced. I don't know if maybe this was cut on the ending four, or if it was just not written in. I feel like Rasputin's character is not as well-developed, maybe. No, and, like, he is, like, the most interesting villain. Yeah. Because not only is he a true historic figure that has a lot of past that can be really played up. I mean, the man was poisoned, shot, stabbed, drowned, and then finally died. I mean... Yeah. He he has this reputation for being this unkillable thing. And that's what they make him to be. Yeah. And he does, I mean, he does come back eventually in this movie. He does, does still have that reputation, but it's not, his motivation is not the same. And that's something we talk about a lot. Yeah, I must have, I must have missed that when we watched it. I must have just assumed he was still going for a... At the end of the day, he still wants to free the beasts. Yes. But it didn't seem... In the comic books, it was much more like he wanted Hellboy to be born and he knew that he had to do X, Y, and Z to do it because he was using the Nazis purely for their money. And Yeah, he was using the Nazis to yeah. free these, to free the, the beasts. And to create Hellboy the, to the bring about. The seven gods mm-hmm. he's trying to bring about. Yeah. The seven gods. Um... But it doesn't work, and then obviously Hellboy is born, and then we flash forward to present day, and we still have the BPRD, and but this time, in this world, everything is very secret and very hush hush. Yes. The, even the existence of Hellboy is like, no, 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 he's not real. Like, which I feel like it's is a figment. A big trope in in the comic book movies of that era, it really focuses on the secrecy of keeping the paranormal and that maybe not just the paranormal but like keeping a secret identity or something right you know what i mean right right and that's why and i was watching this movie and i kept thinking like this something about the way this is shot something about the storytelling reminds me of harry potter and i think part of that is the secret world yeah a little bit and so the bprd is disguised as a waste management headquarters yeah and hellboy is basically being locked away and babysat and just is allowed out on missions and he has a, there's like a spokesperson for the government that says, no, 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 he doesn't exist. Played by Jeffrey Tambor. Yes, who is so good at being so fucking annoying. Oh my God, yeah. He's so great at being annoying. He's a very good asshole. He does, very much. And that's a compliment. Uh, So, um, like we said, he's being babysat. His character, that was like the first main issue I had, is he's not independent. He's he's a muscle head, and he's not allowed to be the investigator that he is. And this is where I think it's interesting to contrast the the 2004 Del Toro version with the new one, because I feel like the, the character, the Hellboy character in the new movie, is somewhere in between what you see in the comic and what you get in the Del Toro. I, I think a I lot agree. of the characterization in the 2019 version was influenced by Del Toro's um, 
like writing by his mm-hmm. imagination by his um, characterization of Hellboy yeah his movies yeah I would I would agree um, but either way I still did enjoy Perlman's acting I won't say that yes. like I dislike Perlman I definitely prefer I think Perlman to the David Harbour version well and I I watched um, the Del Toro movies before I ever read the comics a long time ago mm-hmm. And I didn't have a problem with it when I watched it. I thought it was really good. Now that I've read the comics, yeah, it, it, the characterization was a little bit off, but I still think they do a good job with it. If you almost treat it like an alternate universe Hellboy. Yeah. Which is not hard to do because Del Toro's style is so distinct. It's so distinct. That it is kind of, it does kind of separate itself mm-hmm. from the comics just, just by way of style basically. yeah he makes it his own but he like we emphasize all the time a lot of the tone remains the same yeah um but there I mean it, it's not perfect in, he, in any means I do think he does a good job of keeping kind of the tone and the essence of the story and the characters for the most part yes I would agree okay so like we said, Hellboy's being kept away where present day Rasputin was thought to be dead. However, he is resurrected by his um, two kind of team members, one of them being a lover, one of them being a friend. And he is unleashing this unkillable beast that when you do kill it, multiplies into two more beasts. Yeah, it's like the head of the Hydra. Yes, exactly. Head of Hydra. And so Hellboy and his team, who are, you know, Liz Sherman and Abe Sapien, are called out to kind of investigate. However... Hellboy does his own thing. Again, he doesn't have really a team, even though in this story it feels more appropriate that they should work together. But he really doesn't. We also have a new character introduced. He works a little bit more with... They're more of like recon, like they're more just like Abe. Well, Abe's character differs quite a bit because he is, you know, half fish, half man, can swim, breathe underwater, can do kind of that sort of thing. But in the movie, they've made him much more um, mystical. Yeah, yeah. He can touch somebody and know their thoughts and know yeah. like what's going on in their body, yeah. essentially, which becomes a big thing in the second movie. He's got a bit of a psychic ability. Yeah, yeah the psychic ability. And I'm not saying I'm upset about it it just it they were doing it so they could kind of explain what was happening through him so the audience it was a way to engage yes you can just sense what's going on yes so it was definitely a plot device and i think it fit but it's a huge difference from the comics and that makes abe much more involved but still not like as involved with the fighting and liz is actually in an insane asylum because she is trying to gain control over her pyrokinetic abilities so she can create fire control fire and when she gets angry or upset you know things really bad happen and so he's kind of in there on his own but there is a new team member by the name of john myers who is just an fbi guy basically hired to babysit hellboy and he plays the part of audience member he's like i'm clueless what's going on this is the my biggest problem with del toro's this movie was that character yeah i didn't think he was necessary unnecessary and i i almost think he did a disservice to the story yeah a lot of the time i don't think he really added much no and it kind of it, it not only did a disservice to the story, but to Hellboy as a character. It took a lot of the attention away from Hellboy. Yeah. And I think, I don't think that you, that they needed to do that. I think it would have been better if they'd focused on Hellboy more. Right. In this movie. I really think he was an unnecessary character, but that was, that actually was probably my biggest problem with the story in this movie. Right. Because he's just, and honestly, he's annoying. Honestly, I had forgotten about that character until <laughs> just now. And we just watched the movie. We did. Like he's forgettable. About that movie. And I literally forgot he was in it until right now. He is forgettable. So that tells you about as much as you know about <laughs> that character. I mean, right. Yeah. Completely unnecessary. Right. So kind of gearing up towards the, the climax of the movie, Rasputin goes after the person Hellboy loves most, most his father and kills him because he refuses to accept Hellboy's fate as the destroyer of the world, which is very similar to the new adaptation, right? Hellboy fighting this idea of, well, I'm trying to save the world that I was born to destroy. 
Um, and Brutenholm does die very early on in Seed of Destruction. So, like, it's upsetting, but it's also accurate. Yes. And so, in a search to defeat Rasputin after finding his father, um, Liz, Hellboy, and Myers, for some reason, find his mausoleum, Rasputin's mausoleum in Russia, and they are quickly separated and try to be taken out. And then they find all these eggs of all the creatures that are multiplying and multiplying and multiplying to try and take over the world. And very quickly, Liz is able to use her fire kill all the beasts and all the eggs and get rid of the threat but then she is kidnapped by Rasputin which does happen in the comic and but she's not used for her power she's used as a bargaining chip for Hellboy what he wants is Hellboy whereas in the movie or not in the movie whereas in the comic he wants Liz's firepower to help free the yeah. beasts. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, Hellboy needs to use his power by using his real name, which is Anun Unrama, to free the beast himself, as kind of like the king of hell. Yeah. And the one thing that Meyer's character does is like hit him over the head with a rock and be like, no, you're better than this. And he's like, yeah, you're right, I'm better than this. And then he breaks his horns off and stabs Rasputin, yeah. who turns into a huge, like, octopus that he then has to fight and then he like whispers sweet nothings into Liz's ear because of course they have a love thing going on and it saves (laughs) her which is also different from the comic it's very different she is not a love interest whatsoever I was very annoyed by that because I'm like you have one female character in this and of course you have to make her a crazy pyrotechnic love interest just let her be a powerful badass woman that's all I'm saying Anyway, even though her soul was sucked out, he, that may be also why it reminded you of Harry Potter because they yeah, it fucked Jenny Weasley like relational they, shit. Mm, they fucked over Jenny Weasley. Shit. We'll get to that in a few months. Anyway, um, anyway, like the climax, the the resolution happens really fast. Like Liz yeah. comes back to life after he was like, "Hey, like just like come back and hang out with me, like we'll Netflix and chill, like it'll be good," <laughs> and. Then um, they have a really awkward kiss, and I and I realized why it was because his whole face is prosthetic, so like he oh, can't. Yeah. So like his lower lip is just all foam, <laughs> so I'm like he can't really do anything with it. No wonder it looks so awkward. But and then it kind of just ends. So that's how it goes. There are some parts that really annoy me, but I would still choose this adaptation look, over the new one. It was a good movie. It was a good I had, movie. I had a couple problems with it, mostly based off after reading the comic. I feel like if, right. you, if you aren't familiar with the source material and you watch it, it's entertaining and you're not going to have a big problem with it. Other than, right. other than maybe the inclusion of... Um, um, the agent character, what's his name? I don't even remember his name. I'm not going to tell so, you. He doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, agent that, nobody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do think shoehorning in the relationship between Liz and Hellboy didn't work a ton for me. I I don't know. I think my biggest problem with it is the way he reacts inside the relationship. The way he acts. <laughs> He acts very jealous and overprotective and yes. like, I like her, so like, she's mine. Yeah, and it just comes off a little bit weird. It comes off a bit. Like a little bit yeah. stalkery. And yes. actually there's a scene in the movie where he literally He's stalks literally her. stalking so, her yeah. on a date with Agent Nobody, yeah. So that comes off as like a little bit... Uh, strange. It's like it's just a super unhealthy relationship. I would call it misogynistic, but that's and, just like well, a I strong that's, word. That's one of those, move, like one of those examples in a movie where something, the, the context changes based off. Yeah. Like, societally, things have changed quite a bit since. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think you've got to change in in the perceptions the way that people think, mm-hmm. and so us watching it now is probably different than what somebody would have been how somebody would have thought back into this when they're watching well and I can I can see that Del Toro's trying to make it kind of funny and he's trying to like find like humor that Hellboy is this really powerful man but the one thing he wants to achieve yeah he can't and like because it's emotional and I understand that and I think that could have been interesting but I don't it's just such a common trope that like two people, powerful people working together on a team who are of the opposite sex must end up right. together. And it and it's one that is a trope that Mike Magnola avoided. He avoided entirely. And I think that 
not to say Hellboy doesn't have love interests in the comic, but I think that that was smart of him to do that. It was that very I smart. I think it, you could, the two characters in the comic can stand on their own and it makes them much stronger. Yes. And I think that's one problem with this movie is a lot of Liz's character, it, it, her character development is centered around her relationship with Hellboy. Yep. And a little bit vice versa, too. I, I think there's too much involved in their relationship that too much of the plot is based around their relationship. And I had, yes. that was a problem I have with the second one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's get into the second one. That's kind of where my, my, my tids and my bits end. <laughs> You're going to keep that going. I'm going to keep you? it going until the end of time. I've told you slap it on a shirt and sell it. Right. Only I can TM TM. Only I can do that. Nobody else. I respect your, uh, dedication to, uh, my tenacity for tids yeah. and bits. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Um, okay. Hellboy 2, Golden Army. What year? 2008. So That's a is, big gap. Yeah, four-year gap. It's not huge, but mm. um, it's a decent gap. Maybe because I'm. we're I just think, so used to Marvel coming out every year with a new one. Yeah, but... I think there's a lot of there's a lot of movies you could point to that that had a four year gap. Yeah. I think five plus is where you're starting to get into a, a really large gap. Yeah, okay. that's just my Fair perception, enough. anyways. Fair enough. But you're right; it is a larger gap. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that was Del Toro was doing Pan's Labyrinth in between, so that came out in 2006. That was not a mistake. No, and and that is uh, was his most critic, critically acclaimed movie before Shape of Water. I need to watch it. Shape still. of Water. It's very good. Mm. Shape of Water. Well, and actually, the actor who played Abe, um, Doug Jones, was in. He played the fishman in Shape of Water. Well, he was. He was also in Pan's Labyrinth, was he not? He yes, and I love his character because it's the only thing I know from Pan's Labyrinth is the guy with no eyeballs except they're in his hands, yeah. and he does. He plays that guy. And you want to know a fun fact about that costume? Yeah, I do. Where his nose is is technically his eyes on his face like the head the head it was constructed in a way so that if in order for him to see the nostrils of his costume were for his eyes wow how he how he was able he to breathe he's a great actor like the, the physicality he, can't he brings see. to the he roles. can't really feel anything and well, he's able to just like the way embody. he moves the way he moves is so yeah Doug Jones come on our podcast maybe our first interview there was a 60 second documentary video which they're very fun that covered Doug Jones because he's like I'm probably the most famous actor you don't know because he's always in costume that's true and he's adorable he's definitely not a household name no and he should be um yeah so like the first movie Hellboy 2 was also written and directed by Guillermo del Toro mm-hmm. um also stars Ron Perlman comes back as Hellboy Selma Blair again as Liz Sherman Doug Jones come back, comes back as Abe, and you'll be happy to know they did not dub his voice for this one. That was his actual voice in this movie. How did I not notice it? I'm going to go back and like watch Side by Sides. Cause the Maybe he's just like an actor that he... That is all I'm trying to say. <sighs> I will advocate for Doug Jones, honorary Oscar, real Oscar, till the day I die. He was the main character of Shape of Water. That's true. And he didn't win. Can we stop for a moment and talk about the uncanny resemblance between apes and This is what I'm telling you. I know there was a lot of articles written about this, but it it is uncanny. Because I think it's the prequel to Hellboy. Yeah, okay. The it, sequel prequel. I, know he's, I think he said that that wasn't inspiration, but come on. Come on, Del Toro. You know it is. But it had to be. And like the fact... Because even, okay, in the second movie that I'm, I'm about to talk about this, Abe Sapien does have a love interest. Yep. And I'm like, I don't hey. know. It totally, it totally looks like that was your inspiration, man. Well, and the way Shape of Water ends very ambiguously. I'm like, we don't know where that fish man ended up. It's true. He could have ended up in the services of the BPRD. That's true. And I'm sticking to it. I don't remember when he was supposed to have been found in... Abraham Lincoln, the year Abraham Lincoln died. Oh, well, that doesn't that doesn't line up then because Shape of Water is in like the 50s or 60s. Yeah, but they discovered him in the 50s or 60s. That doesn't mean that's how long he had been alive. He could have been alive longer and they just captured him then. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Science. See, if you're if you bullshit enough, you can make any story you want, and that's fine. Uh, tell that to the guys who made Game of Thrones. Um, they don't deserve that recognition anymore. Moving on. Um, yeah, uh, Jeffrey Tambor's back. Um, More Seth annoying. MacFarlane did the voice for um, Johan Kraus, which is uh, he did not. He did. He did. 
Um, and Johann Krauss is in this movie a, a German psychic, but he's like an ectoplasmic being. But he wears a cool suit. Yeah, he he's housed in a suit. There's a couple points in the movie where he goes out of the suit and he's just kind of a vapor. Around me, he's kind of a vapor. Yeah. Which is interesting because ectoplasm is supposed to be like a gooey, slimy thing. At least like. That's what it's portrayed as in all those fake yeah. hauntings. But it was I thought that was a really cool character. It was a he, cool character. He is a character yeah. in the not in the comics. Well it's but. interesting you mentioned that Guillermo del Toro had a fascination with monsters as a kid because mm-hmm. you can definitely see that in his work. I mean, almost all of his movies have, have a some creature, kind of monster, a monster or a creature or something. And they're all super interesting. And they're all like there's always something like a little fun and childish isn't the right word for it but like childlike wonder childlike yeah that the monsters have this like and I guarantee you that's why they're not frightening that's probably why he was drawn to Hellboy oh I think so there's so many cool creatures and And he doesn't go for the uber grotesque no definitely not like I, I would argue that the comic doesn't either no and I think he gets the spirit of it but he makes them still very I don't know there's something about his, like, yeah, like you said, his style. I can't put my finger on it, but I really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, then Luke Goss plays Nuada, Prince Nuada, and Anna Walton plays Princess Nuala, which is... Those like, parents, ugh. Neither of those actors I've looked were really, have done anything big beyond, beyond this, I don't think so. They've done a lot of smaller roles. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Um, so, Hellboy 2 really is... Guillermo del Toro, in a Guillermo del Toro original story. They didn't really have a comic to go off of this one. Which, su- I mean, it, it surprises me and it doesn't because he's a very good, like, original yeah. storyteller. He, he did still work with Mike Magnolia on oh. a little bit of the story development. Okay. But it really was like they were trying to do something, he was trying to do something completely different than than what was in any of the comics in the original story, mm-hmm. which I appreciate because I think this, it turned out really well. Um, but it very much feels more feels even more like a Guillermo del Toro movie oh, set yeah. in the Hellboy universe. I mean... Oh, yeah. Um, so the beginning of this movie starts with um, Professor Brutenholm, the flashback mm-hmm. in the 50s, telling Hellboy, a young Hellboy, uh, a story. And it's about um, these goblin blacksmiths who have built an indestructible mechanical armory for the King of Elves, Baylor, or Baylor. And, and they built this mechanical army to defeat the humans because the humans have basically um, driven back all magical creatures. Kind of into the kinda, shadows, into right? the shadows and kind of taken over the world. And so they built this mechanical army to take back Earth, basically, to defeat, mm-hmm. take out the humans. Um, so Prince Nuada encourages his dad to do this he ends up accepting the the goblins offer and takes this army and um, they also um, construct a crown and whoever's wearing this crown is the one who can control the army yep um, if they are not challenged they have to it's like you have to be of that bloodline so the army ends up decimating humanity and Baylor is really regretful about this and ends up making a truce with the remaining humans and says, okay, so the humans can go to the, stay in the city and the magic creatures will stay in the forest. And that's kind of the line they draw. So um, Harry Potter. Definitely Harry Potter. Yeah. And, um, he then splits the crown into three pieces and separates them. And Nuwad is pissed about this, the prince and leaves into exile. And that's the end of that story. Flash forward to present day. Right. And that's where the story picks up again. So we're back in present time, and Nuada returns to find all three pieces of the crown because he wants to control the army. And basically, he's he's mad because he thinks humans have overshadowed the magical creatures and pushed them to the margins of, of society. Of Earth yeah. and society, even though they're not really known in society, right? Which is, I guess, his issue. Mm-hmm. And he's got a lot of resentment because he feels like they've. They've taken over the world, their world. It's not equal anymore. Yeah, so he wants to come back and, and, and take it back. Um, so he's looking for all three pieces of the crown to take the control of the army back. And um, so it starts off, he gets the, he finds the first piece at an auction, kills everyone, 
um, by unleashing tooth fairies, which is really like they're really cool. The design of these. the design is and like the incorporating uh, a creature we are aware well, of you know in Actually, a creepy way. Those things kind of remind me of what are those little fairy things in Harry Potter? Oh, that the professor who um, shit, what's his From name? The Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, yeah. Who he? The pixies. Yeah, they're the pixies. pixies. They remind the kind of the design kind of reminds me of a mix between those and a piranha because they've got these like sharp teeth and just destroy go through and rip people apart they they love bones but they go for the teeth first hence why they're called tooth fairies yeah um he then ends up killing Nuada kills his father for the second piece because he had the second piece of the crown Mm -hmm. and he goes in search of the third piece and this is kind of the main um where the story really kicks off and um is because his twin sister Nuala escapes with the final piece right because she doesn't obviously agree with his viewpoints well, he's been in exile for a long time. She's been with her dad. Now he's coming back and killed their father. And, yeah. And trying to... She knows she's next. Yeah. Um, so then it focuses, again, on Hellboy. And they've got this whole subplot between Hellboy and Liz having relationship issues. Ugh, it's um, annoying. I'm not going to lie. And, yeah, again, and this is a... There was a big stretch in the, of this movie. I want to say, like, 20 to 30 minutes where it's really just Hellboy and Abe and the BRPD getting drunk getting drunk and commiserating over their relationship issues which I'll get into how Abe fits in that into a second here um but I should mention so earlier in the movie Hellboy does he's he's fighting um Nuada at one point mm-hmm. and um ends up throwing, going out a window and basically reveals himself to the public. Right, because he's still supposed to be a secret. He's still supposed to be a secret. And then he's promised Jeffrey Tambor's character. He's like, yeah, 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 like, I'll keep it under the radar. But he has full intentions of being like, I'm going to bust us wide open. Like, I want yeah. people to know that we're here and we're here to help. And then he faces immediate backlash from the public because they're like, you're fucking ugly but, and you're a monster. Yeah. But he's a known quantity now. He, I mean, People know who he is. He's a public figure now. So he reveals himself. So that's one big part of the mm-hmm. movie. And that's where they bring in um, Johann Krauss, basically, to rein him in. Yes. Um, and kind of watch over him. So again, he's kind of got a babysitter. Um, right. Like he does in all of these movies for some reason. At least it's more interesting than just some, like, guy who it, doesn't it's much, add anything. Yeah, it's much more... It's well done. And he's say. an actual character in other aspects of the comics. Johan, yeah, Johan Krauss is a really interesting character, and it, I think it actually adds something to the movie. Yeah. But it, that's another point where I feel like the new movie was, was really working off the Del Toro movies, um, and not to their benefit, because they, they pulled in a lot of things from the comics, maybe more so than the Del Toro one. Yeah. I think it would have been better if it stuck to the characterization of the comics, too. Yeah, for um, sure. He doesn't need a babysitter. He's a 60-year-old half-demon, half-man. Yes. So they end up tracking the tooth fairies um, down to a uh, a market, basically, under the Brooklyn Bridge. like a, a Think Diagon Alley. Pretty much. <laughs> like, it's just good. This movie is a mashup of, like, Lord of the Rings meets Harry Potter meets Hellboy. Because we've got elves. We've got goblins. We've got secret worlds. Yeah. <laughs> we've got magical there's crowns. Ma- yeah. So there's a magical market, and that's where Nuala is. They run into Nuala, mm-hmm. and um, they take her back to the BRPD. After they, they take her back to the BRPD, her and Abe... Develop, start developing a relationship, like a love. Yeah, they both have, like, she's able to also connect to people's yeah. minds. So they have that in common. And then you just see Abe putting in, like, new eyeballs at one point and be like, oh, like, trying yeah, to look pretty. Was, like, I didn't get lenses. it. I, I just. Didn't, I guess somehow it was supposed to change the way his eyes look. I don't, I don't know. know. But, anyways, there's they bring in a love story between him and Nuala. And that's the point where. When they're back to the BRPD, Hellboy is having this relationship issue with Liz, and Abe is having his feelings for Nuala, and they go together and get drunk. And, and Abe knows a secret about Liz. music, and yeah. There's a whole thread. Well, yeah, Liz is also pregnant, I forgot to mention. And she and didn't Abe. know, so part of Abe's ability is he goes to protect her during one of their missions with the Tooth Fairies, puts yeah. his hand on her stomach, and was like, oh my god, Liz, you're pregnant? She's like, no, I'm not. And then he's like, no, like you definitely are. Yeah. 
And this is like a uh, 25 to 30, uh, uh, extraordinarily, it felt like that long anyway, part stretch of the movie. And again, another uh. plot point I really think they could have, they should have cut out and just focused more on... Why does she have to be pregnant? That's one thing about the character I really admire in the comic is he's, he's nothing like that. He's blunt. He's... Yeah. He's straightforward. It's just, it's really off of He's what, not wallowing, drinking six-pack after six-pack. Mm, he does... But he does drink. He does drink. get drunk a lot in the comic, in a certain But not comic, for but that. Yeah, it, it's, it's... Yeah, it's different. I, and so this was a stretch of the movie I wasn't a big fan of, and I, I really think it didn't work that well. Oh, I should mention, too, that character that we said was the agent character in the first movie, whose name I forget... Um, who, who was uh, irrelevant basically at the very beginning of the movie they, they have a throwaway line of how he was transferred to Antarctica yeah so even they acknowledge that he, he, he meant nothing yeah yeah. even is, they know like eh. funny. that is hilarious um, yeah so at this point um, Nuala is back Nuala is in the BRPD and her and her brother have like a psychic link as well because they're twins. And so he finds out where she is through the psychic link. Why the fuck she didn't tell them that this was a possibility right. before they took her back to their, you know, secret base? I don't know. But then she's like, oh, shit, he's coming for me. So she hides the crown piece. He comes. He kidnaps her, tells them, and tells them they need to bring the piece to him or he's going to kill her. Yeah, and he Abe knows big, Abe knows. And this is the setup because Abe now is has feelings for her so then he's freaking out and he's able to find the piece he finds the piece and they have this whole plan of like well, we're gonna trick him and we're not gonna give anything to him and well, we're gonna get in, her back in Hellboy in this scene Hellboy gets stabbed with a spear by Nuada and then then they go and try to basically heal him and that's when they go to um, is it the angel of death Yes, but first they're, they're really taken into the, try to, to the location of the Golden Army. Yes, because they want Nuada to, to take it yeah. out. Because every time they touch it, it moves closer and closer to his heart. So yeah. they need somebody to take it out before he dies. But there, when they're on the way there, they encounter um, Bethamura, the goblin master blacksmith. And he takes them to the Angel of Death. And the Angel of Death takes the shard out and mm-hmm. heals him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they proceed to the Golden Army, where the Golden Army is stored. Yep. And Nuwada is waiting for them there. Yep. Um, so at this point, um, they don't obviously don't want to give him the crown piece. Certain but, people don't. But Abe ends up giving the crown piece to him because he Abe. wants Nuwala. Yeah. Abe is smarter than that. Yeah, yeah, and this, yeah, I had a problem with that too. But, um,. He gives him the crown piece, but then Hellboy challenges him because he's got, he's a demon king, right? So he's got the bloodline to challenge him. Yeah. Challenges him, ends up defeating him. And in this scene is pretty cool. I mean, the, the design of the golden army is really cool. I like it's that. It's very cool. Every, every design of all these monsters are cool. Um, as you'd expect in a Del Toro movie. Yes. Um, ends up defeating, um, Nuada and, but the way he defeats him is very poetic. Oh, yeah. So Nuala, because they're linked, she ends up like committing killing herself so that Nuala is defeated. Because she knows he will never stop. Yeah. And I actually really like... I, I think he's a really strong villain. He is a very strong villain. And, and I like that like him and Hellboy almost have a mutual respect. Like You can understand why his yeah. motivation for doing it, and you can kind of sympathize with it. Yeah, I agree. And this is one point where I, I think Guillermo del Toro, his writing was really strong. And even though he changed some things, I, this is why I really like these movies, because in the comic books, that's one of the, the big um, issues that Hellboy's got to deal with. Mm-hmm. is he is part of this magical world. And a lot of times he's fighting these magical creatures that are trying to, you know, get some ground back in the world and push back the yeah. humans. And he's got that internal struggle of he loves humans in the comics. And he is he feels he's part of that world. He's half human. Yeah. Right? But he's also part of the magical cre- world of the magical creatures. Right. So there's that struggle there of, you know, which side am I on? Yeah. 
And I think that that writing works so well. And it, it, and this is why I think these movies work so well. And I like them so much is because it really does keep that essence of a lot of the struggles, a lot of Mm -hmm. the conflict in the comic books. Right. But they do it in a way like, unlike in the David Harbor one where it was very outright and very just like whiny. Yes. This one is much more like, it's not really discussed. He's just like, you know, I love these people. These are my people. Like, I don't know. It's a little more childish still in these movies, but it's not to the same extreme. I I wouldn't say say childish. I would say like immature. Yes. That's fair. Yeah. So I did really like that. I think. Yeah, I did too. I think the characters are really well done, even, even though they are different. And yeah, I had some issues because some of the way they changed a couple of the characters I still think they're strong I still think they're good characters Um, like I will say this and while I was annoyed that this whole movie revolves around Liz being pregnant and Hellboy doesn't know she won't tell him Abe won't tell him I will say though that she still is a character with agency and she still is like I'm not being left behind I'm going to fight and it's not a question of what about your babies it's like that doesn't come up and that is something that I appreciate because oftentimes you see a woman in a world like well now she's pregnant or now she's a mom and she has no agency and that's all she is right I will say I appreciated that part of the story. I still don't think it was necessary. I think it was stupid. I don't think it lended anything to Hellboy's character development because he doesn't learn about it until the very fucking end. Yes. And yeah, so, so it's at pointless. the very end, Liz melts down the crown. They Abe her Abe Liz and Hellboy quit resign from the BRPD. Mm-hmm. And like the very final scene is Liz telling Hellboy that they're gonna have twins. Well, I do think there was some unnecessary additions in there. Uh, some of the relationship stuff. I think overall, I mean, he made it his own. The story things. was really interesting. The story is interesting, and the it characters. Fits. The characters I think are really well done. I think this is better than stronger than the first movie. I think the villain's stronger. I, I think Rasputin was maybe more of your typical um, villain. His motivations weren't clear, and he's so much more complex and intriguing in the comics, whereas this completely new villain, like you said, is relatable. Like, you can see where they're coming from. He's not just relatable. I think he has a relationship with Hellboy that makes it really interesting. Yeah. It's the first magical creature, person, character that isn't, like... Uh, you know Rasputin who's just this reincarnated kind of spiritual figure it's like someone who's living in the world that he belongs to himself who's like calling into question his own identity well and it's not black and white no it's not and I I think those are the best stories it reminds me of Legend of Korra when we talk about how each villain is very much like you know that what they're doing is wrong but that it comes from a place that you can understand that's a really really good point I would agree I think I think the character the villain yeah. from Legend of Korra have a lot of similarities and I think you could see that in, in a lot of um, critically acclaimed yeah. kind of movies that the gray area <coughs> yeah um, so I really enjoyed that I think the villain was really well done and it's nice to, it's nice to watch a story that while you have these opposing sides fighting for something that they believe in you can kind of um, sympathize with both, and they don't necessarily hate each other. They just they they are fighting for a different side for for reasons that they're sticking to their convictions. Yeah, and it's, it's not that they hate each other as people; it's they just disagree about about right. philosophies. In the context of a movie, that usually means death. But yes, that's true. In real life, you can just have a conversation and disagree and walk away. It's great. Yeah. I will say I agree. I did like Golden Army better. And maybe that's because Del Toro had the freedom to... He did one movie where he got kind of a little in tune with the characters and how he wanted to portray them. And then he was like, I can take what I've learned from this and work with Mike to create my own story that does it justice. And I wonder if almost he was given more agency because of Pan's Labyrinth. On, that's a very good question because. Well, okay, so I'm, I, I just want to. I found a few things, um, kind of the background stuff and production stuff that I just I found, that I found interesting that I want to bring up really quick. So, Doctoro apparently was initially planning to like recreate um, other classic stories, 
and bring in incorporate other classic stories such as Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman oh. into this so it kind of would have had like maybe a more Van Helsing feel ooh and, okay and actually this fit I guess because Mike Magnola as Hellboy kept going on and, and actually I can see this because I read um, stories from earlier on in um, Hellboy and then kind of stuff towards the, the end mm-hmm. and he was bringing in more mythology into the story which is very true because he starts off with like the Nazis and the mechanicals like the Rasputin and stuff but and then he goes into later he does get into later he goes into like fairies and um, Baba Yaga and, and yeah all and that. trolls and giants and stuff so that is true he was bringing in more mythological stuff so I think it would have fit well um so they, that's kind of where, where he started off with. Um, they also, him and Mike Magnall also spent a few days, I guess, adapting another story in, Hell, in, in the Hellboy universe. Didn't end up doing that one either. So they played with a few ideas before they landed on the Golden Army. Yeah, and then later Del Toro, I guess, pitched uh, a story that involved Titans from the four corners of the Earth. So wind, water, fire, and earth. So Legend of Korra. Um, and that was then replaced by the, the Titans were then replaced with the Golden Army. Well, interestingly too, if you watch the new Spider-Man movie, yep, that's kind of similar too. I'm just saying, did Avatar start at all? Yeah. Well, Legend of Korra, well, the first Avatar. Avatar, Avatar and then. would have been out before this one. Exactly. Um, so I found that interesting. That is interesting. It, it kind of, it, they played with a few different ideas. And I yeah. kind of now want to see the that movie with the Wolfman and Frankenstein and I think and that would Dracula. be so fun. Well, yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, that would be really cool. Because that's the great thing about Hellboy is the world that he's created, he built it very slowly. But like you said, like we see a progression of... You know, Hellboy and demons and beasts and titans, and then all of a sudden we have giants and trolls and fairies and witches. Yeah. That you can kind of interject any sort of mythology or mystical and creature, works. and it's going to work because there's different dimensions well, and there's and different everything. Cool, it works. Such a cool blend of like the steampunky kind of like yeah. mechanical thing. You got Rasputin in there, and then he brings in the mythology, and it just it all fits. There's it's because that it doesn't. It's modern day but it's not dated in the comics very like nothing really dates it and then you are able to fit in all these very otherworldly things pretty seamlessly because he doesn't he and this goes back to his Lovecraftian nature of writing is because he doesn't set very strict boundaries therefore he has so much room to play Mm -hmm. with he's like I don't have to explain this and since I haven't explained it I can kind of do whatever I want Um, so as I mentioned Del Toro did release Pan's Labyrinth in between Hellboy 1 and Golden Army that came out in 2006 and there the film obviously had critical acclaim earned a lot of awards including some Oscars as well mm-hmm. um, and that actually I, I don't know if the production had stalled or what but I think I read somewhere that that kind of re-jump started the production of the Golden Army oh okay so after that came out then then it just sped up really quickly that makes sense and and that's where I'm wondering maybe they just gave him they gave him more agency because they trusted him a little bit more I mean and someone who has that name recognition and that's that kind of projects following such a big one that was critically acclaimed I mean box office wise you're probably gonna do pretty well yeah and this one did actually pretty well at the box office 160 million internationally wow that's amazing on a a budget of 85 million so they didn't get that much more money than they did the first time around i mean 20 million is a lot of money like don't get me wrong but yeah but i think that's a pretty decent return especially absolutely it doubled it doubled 2008 i mean if you're comparing it to movies now then yeah it doesn't seem like a lot maybe but it doubled its money yeah back then that was that was a pretty good return and it was also very well received critically. Yeah. Um, so. I feel like if, you, if you're if you not someone who's read the comics, and even if you are, you really enjoy them, there are just like, like we get hung up on some of those smaller things, mm-hmm. whereas if you don't know it, you're not missing anything, I think, from the story. Yeah. So. But uh, Del Toro initially, and Del Toro and Perlman, because he was heavily involved mm-hmm. as well, um, initially planned this as a trilogy. Right. And, and we talked about that in in the main podcast on Hellboy where 
the reboot ended up replacing it because they didn't want to bring Del Toro back or he was too busy. I didn't didn't catch that. And Perlman didn't want to come back without Del Toro. So they ended up rebooting it. I also found interesting, apparently they were going to, they planned some spinoffs focusing on Abe. Which now it would have been really cool because Doug, Doug Jones would have had his like star. His data shine. Yeah. Oh, I love Doug Jones. I want to focus on Abe and the BRPD and moving to a new headquarters in Colorado and kind of exploring further his relationship with Nuala. And they would have also delved more into Nuada's history. So they would have kept those characters, which I felt like would have been really cool. Nuala died. I don't see us. They must have been. They must have been thinking about bringing her back somehow. Then. Oh, all right. We'll never um, know. But I did like those characters a lot, so I think that yeah. would have been really interesting. Um, and that was actually in, in production, or what they were planning it in, as recently as 2015. What? Yeah. Don't then, tease me with things that will never be. I'm sorry. Dog. But I guess it was killed off with the reboot when they decided to reboot everything. That kind of makes me hate the reboot more. Yeah. How dare you does. shit on like the the treasure that is Doug like, Jones? I feel like Del Toro is just getting his footing in the second one. In the, the yes. third movie, I feel like probably would have been fucking badass. Had the babies like I don't know. Think like, about that. A I, third Del Toro movie with Pearlman, a whole spinoff. Yeah, with Abe. With Abe, and I, I really think they could have done some really interesting stuff. And kind of like the MCU's doing, where they're pulling from the comics, but they're doing something completely different for um, for their cinematic universe. Yeah. And I think they could have done something really cool with that. And Del Toro as the helm at the helm of that would have been beautiful. I think, I think it could have been one of the best superhero series. Imagine like the technology today mixed with his practical yes. effects and the budget. Yes. Like think of the beautiful piece of like cinema I love he could have Shape created. Of Water, but I would really love. I really am excited to see whatever movie he does. Well, he's next. producing that's more in the vein of Hellboy or yeah. Labyrinth. Toro projects, man. They haunt me because he almost did the Hobbit movie. No, he would have done so good. And the the Hobbit movies are not great. I was not a big fan of of them. I feel like he would have made them so cool. They would have been so cool. I'm really sad now. But I, hopefully, finally, with The Shape of Water and that Oscar win, he'll get more stuff across the line. He also has a Netflix animated series called Troll Hunters, which I guess is supposed to be pretty cool. Is it out now? Yeah, it's been out for a couple of years. Why have I not watched it? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I guess I know what I'm doing tonight. Um, but it's supposed to be pretty good. And, and see, he just does a lot of interesting stuff, but he always, always has... Always he seems to be cool like, and I know we've talked about this before with like um, Jordan Peele, he's like, chase the fun. Yeah. He seems like a director that no matter what, he's going to chase the fun for fun for him. is just like creepy monsters. And I'm into that. But, and you can sense it in the movies Yes. Too. You can tell when someone's doing something that and, brings them a joy well, and their just, joy is creeping me like, out. Transport you in a way. He's one of those directors where you're watching it and it really does transport you to it. Cause there's, there's just so much creativity mm-hmm. poured into these and so much thought poured into yep. those movies that it, yeah, there's something special about them for sure. And Hellboy, these help two Hellboy movies definitely fit in with that. And, and I think they did do a good job of, of bringing in a lot of elements of the comic and doing their own thing at the same time in a way that the reboot did not. Well, and I think, and this might be like the last thing that I touch on is that similarly to how we talk about Wes Anderson, his is a style that you instantly recognize. Yes, and so, you know when Del Toro's hand's been on something and that's a really powerful thing. And I'm excited to see what else he's going to do in the future. Me too. I'm very excited. Do we want to do the Rotten Tomatoes for these? Yes, I have mine. What's okay, your guess? Let's briefly wrap it up since we were going on over time. But you know what? Give us a little bit of a break because... The first this, one was so bad, guys. We had know. to. Well, I don't know. Are we going to get another chance to talk at Del Toro movie? I mean, oh, that, Some, he, that he directed? That he directed? Probably not. Maybe it, in the future if he comes out with something else. There could be something I'm unaware of that he did. But he does, similar to Wes Anderson, he does a lot of originals. So Which I'm happy with. I'm very content with because he, because his brain is beautiful and weird and lovely and creepy. And they're all the things that I really enjoy about right. stories. So we're going to start with... Oh, I'm so intrigued to know. Okay, I'm very intrigued. So... First Hellboy. Are you going to start with audience or critics? No, I thought I was going to be guessing the first Hellboy. You are. Oh, I What's am. your guess for audience oh, or critics? Me? Yeah, I'm asking you. Okay. Oh. God, this is a tough one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with... 
a 78. For what? Critic. Okay, what's your audience? 86. Okay. You're like ballparking it. For the critics, it's 81%. Okay. But for audience, it was 66%. What? Yeah. Isn't that sad? I wonder why. I don't know. I would have thought usually it's flipped. Usually it is very much flipped. Usually the audience enjoys it more yeah. than the critics do. But no, the critics That's a really, really interesting... were pretty much really enjoying it. And everyone else was kind of mixed. Interesting. Oh, and there's a picture of Doug Jones. What's up, my dude? He's my favorite actor now. We'll, we'll try to cover some more movies with him. Okay, good. Um, all right. Hellboy TV Golden Arm. Okay, so I'm going to start with critics. I'm going to go, I think it was going to be higher than this one. So I'm going to go like 87% for tomato meter and for audience. I'm hoping it's at least 75. Wow. Very close. (gasps) Really? Very very close. 86 critics. Woo! That basically counts. I'm within 1%. Yeah. I I, I think if you're within 1%, you get it. Thank you. Um, We're not keeping score or anything, but you get it. You get some No, like I'm not keeping score Um, at all. Weirdly, audience score is 71. So again, the same thing where the audience score was low. What? What is wrong with people? This is really surprising. Is that the first one that we've done that the audience score was lower? I think so. I honestly think this is the first time the audience is lower than the critics. So some people must just really not like, he must be pretty divisive, I guess, in in the general. I think some people, there are those people who go to the movies to escape reality and they, they do that in different ways. Whereas I enjoy a movie that literally will transport me into a magical world. And some people just want to watch people living a better version of their lives. And some people don't like, kind of like the more art house movies, maybe, is what it is. Yeah. I wonder if you'd see that trend with a lot of Oscar contenders, too. Well, and and his style and the world that he creates is known for these weird kind of off-putting like yeah. a, a creature with eyeballs in his hands like I thought that was fabulous hey but that one fabulous. had 91% audience scores I know and I, I like think that. that character is like one of the most recognizable in cinematic history I know it and I haven't seen the movie interesting and guess what that's Doug Jones <laughs> I'm gonna make a shirt that's just, that's Doug Jones for an Oscar just just to have each all of the different characters he's played on the shirt oh my god yes that'd actually be pretty cool wouldn't that be kind of a cool shirt like little illustrated versions of him yeah, TM 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 with Doug Jones get his permission <sighs> sell them I would I would probably cry and scream and pee my pants if someone would allow me to be in the same room as Doug Jones that's uh that's the end cap on Hellboy I enjoyed talking about the Del Toro one much more than the uh the new reboot there was something about having to cover like four different comics in one movie that was really really uh gave me a lot of anxiety there's just something so joyless about that new reboot that joyless is a great word I just didn't I just didn't, yeah. Yeah. This is this. Is this brought us joy. Hopefully, it brought you some joy. Yeah. If you like this podcast at all, and it brings you some joy, please leave us a review. We like to give shout outs to people who do. Yeah. On iTunes, um, also on Spotify and Stitcher and Google Play, you can find us. We have a Facebook and an Instagram at Source Material Pod and a Twitter at Source Map Pod and a website as well, SourceMaterialPod.com. And send us your suggestions. And an email? Did yes. You mention that? Yep. So send us your suggestions to our email inbox, SourceMaterialPod at gmail.com. Yeah, any of those. Um, send us anything. Any of those places you can send us recommendations. We we're really, um, really want to get more recommendations in. Our next episode is from our first, our first ever recommendation. recommendation from somebody we do not personally know it's gonna be really exciting i'm excited to do this i am too Um, but yeah really uh, we'd appreciate if you could leave a positive review it really helps um get the word out and or like take your mom or dad's phone and just like hit the subscribe button and like they'll never know like and just like help us out just play it on a loudspeaker um like over a pa system you know in a walmart i don't know yeah. Tell Doug Jones. Write it. Go to the bathroom stalls and just write um, source material pod. Yeah, just do that. I wonder. Stalls, get the word out. So you know how there's like those six degrees to Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. I want someone who's listening to this to find my six degrees to Doug to Doug Jones. I need that. Anyways, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. If you're a first time listener, we hope you enjoyed it. 
And uh, yeah, give us some feedback. Yeah. Give us some suggestions. Yeah. Leave us a review, please. Please. I mean, we're not desperate, but like, it'd be cool. Well, that's would be nice. You know. All right. Until next time. Until next time.